What's up, PC3? We are near the end of the semester. We have about two weeks left before that thing called PC5, which will be really fun and joyful. And for those who have been around, they will agree that although it is long and sometimes the food is a little cold, maybe not the best, it's a wonderful way to end the semester. Tonight, we will begin a walkthrough of Titus, a New Testament epistle. As we think through the theme, we are saved by the power of the gospel for the sake of the gospel. But before we dive into chapter one, we're going to go back about 125 years ago to look at World War I heroic story of Cher Ami, the messenger pigeon. On October 4th of 1918, a remnant of American soldiers, later known as the Last Battalion, was cornered by German troops. Low on supplies and out of radio range, they had little hope. To make matters worse, American artillery saw the troops, but thought they were the enemy and had been been committing friendly fire, firing on their own people. Without radio, the only hope was to send a carrier pigeon, which is where Cher Ami would be given her final mission. With a set of coordinates and a note that said, Stop firing at us for heaven's sake, Cher Ami took off, flying through German lines back to the American army. However, German soldiers were trained to shoot down these pigeons, knowing that they carried important intel. And while still within sight, the hearts of the American soldiers sunk as they watched Cher Ami take a bullet from a machine gun and plummet down. Against all odds, Cher Ami recovered from the machine gun bullets with a fractured body but an impenetrable mind. Cher continued to dodge German fire and delivered her message. With a missing right leg and missing left eye, Cher's message helped American forces to save nearly 200 soldiers that otherwise would have been counted lost. In the same way, PC3, We as a people, we as Christians, have been entrusted with a message that, if delivered, could lead to the salvation of many. We, too, have been entrusted with life-saving news that we should be willing to give up our lives so that others could have it. The hope of tonight, the prayer, is this. Would we understand that the gospel has been entrusted to us as Christians and over our dead bodies would the world not know the hope of Jesus Christ? Our three thoughts tonight as we pursue that thought are as follows. One, we have been entrusted with the gospel. So we must entrust others with this gospel. So we must protect this gospel. Would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, God, I pray that the people of PC3 God, that this group of students here in this room would live lives. God, that they, that they would know so deeply how beautiful your gospel is. God, that they would understand they have been entrusted with it. And that they would live their lives as messengers. Going out to share the gospel with everyone that they possibly can. God, that the main driving factor in their lives is that because they know you, because they love you. God, that they would want to share about you with every single person that they know. So Jesus, would you do a work in our ministry tonight? Would you do a work in our hearts? God, would you humble us? Would you show us our sin? God, would you exalt yourself in our minds that you would get all of the glory? And Jesus, would we walk out of this room different than the way that we came in? Because we understand who you are. Because we have been humbled. God, we want to live a life that glorifies you. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's read the first four verses of chapter one as we see how we have been entrusted with the gospel. Verse one. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. Okay, let's pull it apart. Paul is our author, and he is writing to Titus, his disciple. Paul is a man who walked along the road as a Pharisee, a terrorist to Christians who was blinded by the glory of Jesus. Paul declares that he is a slave of God. Now, this doesn't mean that there are chains holding Paul down, but rather he looks to Christ as king over his life and therefore is living in such a way that people may view him as a slave because he desires to follow every command from Jesus. Paul is putting these chains on himself because he wants to be like Christ. He says that he has been sent to declare the truth that shows how to live godly lives. And as a result of knowing this truth, anyone can have confidence that they will inherit eternal life. That they know someday when they die, they will 100%, 10 out of 10, know that they are going to heaven to be with Jesus forever. That's amazing news. So... This truth declares that we are to live godly lives and we have assurance of our salvation forever. And what is the last part here? Verse three. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. The message of godly lives and eternal hope was provided at just the right time. It was provided at just the right time, not a day sooner and not a day later. The cross, the gospel proceeded at exactly the moment for when it would make the impact that God intended in the culmination of Jewish history over thousands of years. And it was presented at just the right time so that people here in this room, here at PC3, this very night would hear it now. God worked for centuries over generations to bring about this news. And what was Paul commanded to do 2,000 years ago? He has been entrusted to preach this good news to everyone. Friends, we have talked all year about building the kingdom of God and the gospel. One of the greatest joys is watching y'all grow from who you were when we you first got plugged into PC3 and seeing how the Lord has grown you specifically with your ability to know who has saved you and being able to share that truth with others. Why does this matter? Because Jesus is both Savior and King. He is Savior who saves us from the wages of our sin, which is damnation. He took our place on the cross so that we would be justified, cleansed, and forgiven. And... He is also a king. He is a shepherd who lays down his life for his people so that they can experience peace in the midst of broken and sinful world. He came not just so you could experience peace in heaven, but so that you could experience life in abundance right here, right now. We receive both grace, unmerited favor, and peace that surpasses all understanding. 
and friends. Is that not a message that our families and friends need to hear? This is why we have to know the gospel deep so that we can preach it to a world in desperate need. Just like Paul, if you have received this message, if you are a Christian, you have now been entrusted with it. Think through that story of Share on Me, the pigeon. How tragic would it have been if that pigeon had been shot down? How tragic would it have been if it forgotten if it had forgotten its orders? How tragic would it be if it was distracted by the seeds or the pretty trees? What if that bird had been trusted with its message and then decided that something else was more important to it in that moment? How tragic would it be if she sat there with this message while the news being shared could have saved the lives of many others and she literally did nothing? How heartbreaking would it be if we could save lives but something held us back that was nothing in comparison? PC3, we live in a world full of sinners and sufferers. It is the world full of hurting people and people who hurt others. And if you believe the gospel, you've been trusted with that same message to share with others on your campus, in your neighborhood, at your jobs, classes, and with your friendships. What would it look like if you didn't take this beautiful, precious news and thought it was good for yourself and just stayed there, but you lived out what God has called you into to share that entrusted news with the whole world? This is our prayer for you. Who in your life do you have the ability to reach? Who is someone where you live, where you work, and where you play? What would it look like for you to pick up your phone this week and say, Hey, can we grab coffee? Hey, can we have a phone call? Hey, I'm buying a plane ticket because I need to see you because I have the best news ever and you need to know it. If the Lord has entrusted you with the gospel, would you not be distracted, but would you go and preach it as you have been entrusted? I want to call out greatness right now. I'm Matt Christensen who has picked up the phone twice the last few weeks and called a friend he hung out with in his BC days before he knew Jesus. And now the guy that he has been evangelizing to, making phone calls with, now knows Jesus. I want to call out greatness in Guillermo and Daniel. Guillermo invited Lucas on a retreat. Guillermo invited other dudes to meet with Lucas. And a challenge that Daniel gave to Lucas and with Lucas surrendering to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Matt has been following Christ for seven months. Guillermo is 18 months old as a Christian. We can't make fruit grow, but what's our excuse for not being faithful? And we praise God for those beautiful stories. We also recognize that there is more to do. PC3, you have been entrusted with the gospel. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to be someone entrusted with the good news who preaches to their fellow students, their coworkers, and their families? Or are you going to fly in the other direction? You have been entrusted with the good news and the world needs it. What are you going to do about it? And maybe as we think about it, we might start thinking about the vast number of lost people in the world. And we might start asking, how do I reach all of them? And the good news is that you don't have to do it alone. After we have been entrusted with the gospel, we now entrust others with the gospel. Our second thought for the night is that we entrust others with this gospel. Let's continue reading, starting with verse 5. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children, must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. 
A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and those who, and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Paul tells us that he left Titus, his follower in Crete, so that Titus would appoint elders in the church. Paul was entrusted with the gospel by Jesus. Paul entrusted it to Titus, and now Titus has been entrusted to entrust other people with the gospel for generations. Elders are like under pastors or under shepherds. Like if Jesus is the CEO, elders are like managers underneath him. They do what they can to help others follow what Jesus said and live as examples of him. Our church has six elders our two hired pastors, and then four elders that are not employed by the church. And these men help to guide, feed, and protect our congregation, our people who are members at Providence Church. Paul states that these elders must live blameless lifestyles. Why? Because they must be holy to be entrusted with a holy message. They must not be like Christ. They must be like Christ as under shepherds. Now, we here at Providence believe that the role of elders should only be undertaken by men. One of the, my personal reasons why I landed complementarian while working at an egalitarian church was this passage here. Paul tells Titus who should be elders, and he refers to the role of eldership only in accordance with men. Thus, pastors and elders are to be male. So, whatever you land, wherever you land with that, there, these qualities, however, are good for all leaders to exemplify male or female. Yes, we are to be blameless as we step up into different levels of leadership and have more people underneath our care, but we do should not be deceived that simply because we are not a state group leader in our church, that does not mean that we are not obligated to care and guide those around us. All Christians are to care for the flock. Freshmen in the room, you have a responsibility for the flock. New converts in the room, you have a spiritual responsibility for the flock. This means that you are to encourage, sharpen, and pray for one another. You declare what people have done well, you privately point out sin, and you pray fervently for them to make it to the end. Therefore, although not all of us will carry the title of elder, all of us should seek to live out these qualities. What are they? Verse 6, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Elders must be faithful to their wives, and they must have obedient Christian children. Why? Because the most important spiritual responsibilities a person can have is to their spouse and next to their kids. If you are unfaithful to the people closest to you in your life, you shouldn't be caring for people who are distant from you. We have to keep our priorities in check. Friends, here's my plea. Start this now. If you want to be a faithful, spiritual parent, develop that skill by discipling other people. The best fathers in this room and the best mothers, they must be those who are the best disciplers. 
Because what is parenting if not discipleship with some changing diapers? Verse 7. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Paul repeats the phrase, blameless. And then he names off a series of vices. He must not be prideful or angry. He must not be a drunkard or violent. He must not be dishonest with money. All of these, you pair them with with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. We must kill these sins in our lives, for we cannot emulate the character of God while also emulating these vices. Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross so his people should be humble. Jesus endured the sins of his people for centuries, and yet he was gentle and lowly. He did not retaliate as he went to the cross. Jesus was sober-minded, resisting the temptations of the devil, even when his stomach had been empty for 40 days. He did not dilute his sorrows, but brought them to the Lord. And while his followers would protect him by, by attacking the guards that came to arrest him, Jesus instead would heal the stricken guard by placing his ear back onto his head. And while Jesus humbled himself to be a man, He rejected the notion of the worldly kingdom and calls for us to care for orphans and widows like how he did. Elders cannot be these things and shepherd others to follow Jesus. Instead, they must be hospitable, celebrators of what is good, wise and just, loving Jesus and putting him first. Their faith must be be solidified, rooted, deep and steadfast, not coming and going with the storms of life, but present through it all. They must be a guardian of truth, encouraging believers on the right path and pointing out where others would diverge. This is the call of the church leader and all of us should strive for it. But here's a call. Paul is not telling Titus to simply pass on the message. He's calling for Titus to appoint elders to recruit and to equip. Friends, we cannot do this on our own. There are about 50,000 college students in Omaha, and I believe that if we are gracious, 49,000 of them, that if they were to die tomorrow, would not spend eternity with Jesus, but would spend eternity away from him. Now we celebrate here that over three year, that three years ago, there was 10 students in PC3, and now we expect about 100 on Tuesday night. And that's beautiful and wonderful and big, but friends, it's not nearly enough. If our 20 student leaders and staff were to reach five people to Christ every single year, maybe 500 people would be saved over the course of five years, and 95% of those saved college students would be heading for hell, which is separation from God forever. But here's a pitch. The master plan of evangelism lays it out like this. If one person has crazy evangelistic impact and they lead 100 people into genuine salvation every year, we would think that is amazing. In comparison, a reproducer or someone that raises up someone else to be able to evangelize and reproduce like them, who teaches their disciple to live a repentant lifestyle, to be faithful to the word and how to evangelize, after one year, each faithful person would reproduce one other person. And so after one year, there would be two. And then those two people would go find two others, and then there would be four, and then eight, and not a whole lot would be going on. For the first several years, the crazy evangelists would seem to build up more fruit. However, their disciples would be shallow. 
probably suffering from sin struggles and would be selfish with this news, not continuing to pass it on to others. After 25 years, the evangelists would see 2,500 people come to know Jesus shallowly. But after 25 years, how many would the reproducers see? 16.7 million people who would be much healthier disciples than people who simply made it into the gates of heaven and called it good. Friends, if we want to see the world impacted, we have to raise others up. We have to entrust others with the gospel. We need to help others develop to grow and become leaders in the future church. Developing leaders and trusting others will make the greatest impact. What would it look like for you to identify one person this summer or one person this this next school year and to ask the question, how can I help this person become healthy and know the joy of the Lord? And what would it look like to train them up to disciple and evangelize to others? If it is true that we must entrust others with this gospel, it is also true that we must protect that gospel from being manipulated or changed by others. We have been entrusted with the gospel, so we must protect this gospel. Our final point tonight, so we must protect this gospel. Verse 10. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the trust by, from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousness are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, and they, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Paul transitions from this point of highlighting and encouraging what elders must be, and the dude just starts ripping on the Cretans. And he holds nothing back. Where Titus is doing ministry, there are people who are preaching a false gospel, similar to what we see in other letters, calling for Christian men to be circumcised if they hope for their families to be saved. And Paul is clear here that a false gospel, that this is a false gospel, and that these people have no place to preach in the church. Because the drastic consequence of adhering to their preaching is that people will be led away from the truth. And we know that from 1 John that this truth is that they are leading them away from God himself. Paul then adds in some evidence that these people suck by giving a testimony from one of their own, that everyone on the island is liars, cruel, and lazy, and they do what benefits themselves, and that is about it. These people suck, and and if they are preaching false gospels, they need to be silenced. However, what's interesting here is the end goal of this reprimanding. What did it say in 13b? So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. The end goal of this is so that these people will get back onto the right path. That these people will eventually become strong in the faith. The hope of these people far away from God, the corrupt and unbelieving, is that they would come to know God and then through God and then, and then God through evangelism. 
and that they would be built to become solid Christians who could potentially do what may be? Become elders in the church. Each one of us, when we see people far away from God, it's easy for us to forget our own depravity. That each one of us, at one point, were like the Cretans. This is the reality. Each one of us was at one point like the Cretans. At one point in our story, there was nothing pure coming from us because we were lost, enemies of God. But then God showed us grace. And so in this, this means that just as your life was redeemed when you were far away, when you were an enemy from God, so came the lives of those that we are even fighting against right now. That by protecting the gospel, by reprimanding, by defending, we are helping our own people from going astray. We are helping those who go astray to come to the truth of knowing who God is. And I think that this is being lived out in our own community. Here are just a few examples. Our city group leaders ask about how to deal when someone answers a question wrong. They don't want to discourage people, but we understand that we have to be stern to protect truth from being manipulated. And so we correct sternly, but full of love. And that's why our, our Savior believers ask about this all the time. This is protecting and defending the gospel. Michaela Kilpatrick posting the grooming about this mother God cult who has begun evangelizing on campus like crazy. Think about Matt Ross and Davis literally hunting them down on campus to engage in conversations to hopefully see them repent while also protecting younger believers from being led astray. These are stories of people in our family, in our community, protecting the message, defending the message in these ways. And by disciplining other people with sound doctrine, helping them to uphold the Bible and learn how to read it well, we are protecting and defending the gospel. Praise God for what he's already been doing in our community. Praise God for giving people hearts of protection to defend and care for one another. But now, what do we do with all this? What's our next steps? If you're a non-Christian here in this room, the core of our ministry is that we'd love for you to come to know Jesus. This message that would propel Christians around the world to give up everything and change the trajectory of our lives, that message can be entrusted to you too. You can receive the good news of Jesus and be forgiven for your sins, but this is available to you. And as always, we would encourage you to talk to someone about it. Find someone on staff or a student leader. It would literally be such a beautiful and wonderful joy to walk with you. And for the Christian, here are three questions for you. Who has God entrusted me to share the gospel with? Who has God entrusted to me to raise up to become a leader of other Christians? And finally, what would it look like for you to protect the gospel where you live, work, and play? PC3, would we be a people who do not squander the gospel entrusted to us? But would we participate in this gospel going out into the world that as we appear before the God of the universe, he would look at us and say, well done, good and faithful student. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that we'd be able to look back at him and say, praise God. I brought some people with me. PC3, we have been entrusted with the gospel. What are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me?